Welcome to MindVibe, a mental health podcast for everyone. Since our first episode in 2016, we have been sharing stories of recovery, engaging with experts, and tackling the stigma associated with mental illness. The MindVibe podcast is produced by Ontario Shores Centre for Mental Health Sciences and is available on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Welcome to the MindVibe podcast. My name is Julie Van Hardingsveld, and I am the External Relations Specialist here at Ontario Shores. And it is my great pleasure to be guest hosting our International Women's Day podcast today. Uh, I am so incredibly thrilled to be welcoming three inspiring leaders from Ontario Shores to our podcast today. Please join me in welcoming Melissa, Jeannie and Roxanne. I'm going to have them uh, introduce themselves because their roles are incredibly interesting and I certainly wouldn't give them the justice that their positions deserve. So first up, we will have Melissa introduce herself. Welcome, Melissa. I want to start off by saying thank you, Julie, for hosting us here today and to Roxanne and Jeannie for our ability to have this conversation today. My name is Melissa Baldessari and I'm the clinical manager of the Forensic Transitional Unit at Ontario Shores. I've been employed here for longer than a decade now in various leadership capacities and my current role involves supporting a largely population under the, who are governed under the Ontario Review Board and we support their transition to the community while supporting their recovery and mental health and well-being. A little bit about myself, I am an independent mother of three young girls who are lovely, Sienna, Maya, and Aria, keep me very busy. And in my free time, I am pursuing my Master's of Health Administration and Community Care at Ryerson, and I'm a part-time realtor as well. So thank you for having me here today. Thank you so much for joining us today. I can't wait to hear more. Jeannie, welcome. Thank you, and yes, I would echo Melissa. Thank you for this opportunity. Uh, so my name is Jeannie Zbugbeck. I am the manager of research and academics. So in my portfolio, you know, I oversee the team that supports research activities across the organization, which includes you know, the development of um, applications for REB proposals. We uh, support data collection and analysis, program evaluation, um, Knowledge, dis, uh, knowledge mobilization activities, which include publications and whatnot, to you know share the impact of the research findings that we have. Um, in addition, on the academic side, we support medical and non-medical student placements. And lastly, I oversee the library services offered to Ontario Shores. Um, a little bit about myself: um, I am a mother of a almost four-year-old daughter and a two-year-old son. Excellent. Welcome. Thank you so much. Roxanne. Oh, thank you again. I share their same thoughts. Thank you for having me today on Women's National Month, I guess it is. So my name is Roxanne Kane. I'm the manager for the Centralized Scheduling and Staffing Department, as well as the Nursing Relief Pool. I've been at Ontario Shores for about 15 years. So in my role, I'm responsible for staffing the inpatient units, which there's about 16 inpatient units. Um, also responsible for the nursing relief pool, and it's a mix of RNs and RPNs who help to staff the hospital in times of absences, sick calls, um, various different things that may come up. Um, the role is very exciting. Of course, you know, we have a global staffing shortage across Ontario, but 
I do enjoy the role. Um, I enjoy it because of the people, the staff, and my colleagues that I work with. A little bit about myself, um, I have two kids. I have a 15-year-old son named Alex. I have a seven-year-old daughter named Raylan. I am married. Um, I've been with my husband for 12 years. We've been married for two. Um, on, on the side, I like to blog and write. So I do have an Instagram page, so I'll just plug that in there, called um, Roxy's Views, so you can always follow me, and I blog, and I like to just be inspirational and keep it like positive, especially in a climate where things can be so negative. Excellent, thank you so much. Uh, we're so happy to have you and all of your roles and the different areas that you represent within Ontario Shores. Um, with that, I think it's important that we touch upon the fact that the theme of this year's International Women's Day is Break the Bias. Today, we plan to discuss the impacts of the pandemic, understanding bias, and the likability competency trade-off for women in the workplace. The global pandemic has had a significant impact on three groups of women, working mothers, women in more senior level positions, and women of color. First, before the pandemic, working mothers routinely worked a double shift, a full day of work followed by many hours at home. Now, many mothers have added homeschooling and other co pandemic complexities to their plate. Second, the gender effect of the pandemic has seen nearly two million women, women, particularly young mothers, consider changing careers or leaving the workforce entirely. According to research, more women than men are burnt out and stressed out at work, and the pandemic has nearly, nearly doubled the gender gap in burnout. Third, women of color are increasingly subjected to racial inequalities in the workplace and discrimination. Black women more than any other employee feel excluded and constrained from, from bringing their whole selves to work, and the pandemic has only elevated that. So with that statement, I, I turn the table to open the conversation. When you consider the pandemic or really any point in your career, does this statement resonate with you? And, and how does it apply perhaps to your life, whether it be personally, professionally? Um, I welcome the conversation. Thank you. So I can definitely speak about the piece that pertains to black women and particularly, because of course I am a black woman in the workplace. I mean, I, when I first started here, um, which was 15 years ago, there was quite a bit of experiences with discrimination um, in the workplace. Um, particularly, I'll give a, a, a story, if I can share a story. When I first started here on Ontario Shores, I left my um, position at Scarborough Hospital to come to work here to open the staffing office. Um, I, of course, this is a new staffing office. The staff have been used to doing this, their schedules on their own, they didn't have anyone to intervene. So here I come now telling the staff, hey, here's a new staffing office, I'm gonna create your schedules. Didn't go over quite well. Um, rightfully so, people are angry when you try to come in and change something that they've been doing historically themselves. Um, so I can speak to one um, incident that sticks out in my mind, and even now, I, I can say in this current climate, I don't feel that, that discrimination like I did when I first started here. I do feel supported, but you know, there's new management, there's new colleagues here. So when I first started here, um, when I came in, there was a lot of hate emails going around, particularly targeted towards me. Um, it's okay to be angry about a process. We're all angry about a process or something, but when you direct it to the person, it becomes more personal, right? Like it's like directed at you, like, and you feel a certain way. So coming into work every day, it was hard for me to come into work because I just felt like everyone was angry. And you know, being a woman of color and coming into a place that doesn't have like 
a massive representation of colored people in management, I just felt, I felt isolated, I felt alone. I remember coming in and just going upstairs to my office, because my office was on the third floor, going in, locking in, locking into my office and just doing my job and leaving. So one of the emails that were forwarded to me was a bunch of emails from staff because they wanted to reach out to the staff and say, how can we fix it? How can we work together? So some of the emails that came forward was, it was directed at me. It wasn't even about the process. Like I heard that she was fired from Scarborough Hospital. I heard that she is the cousin of the director at the time because at the time my director was an African-Canadian woman. So they, they downplayed my qualifications and said I was her cousin. I wasn't qualified, I dropped out of school. So just blatant lies. So the management at the time, which was a different management group at the time, bright idea was for me to bring in my uh, degree from the University of Toronto, post it in my office, so at least we can debunk that. I felt really deflated because on one, I was thinking, well, how come no one else has to do that and why would I have to do that? If the job posting has certain qualifications in it, the staff should trust that I've met that qualifications. So, you know, asking me to bring in my degree to prove that I actually was educated and able to do the job wasn't where I wanted to go. Um, I decided to make a stance and say I will not be doing that. Um, I know what I applied for, you know who you hired. Let's move on to the issue and see what the staff are really upset about instead of making this about me. To this day, I don't have my degree. <laughs> Maybe I'm still a little bit triggered, but I still I did not bring my degree into um, the hospital because I was just making a point. Um, I was qualified to do that, but I just that kind of experience as a black woman, you just felt like, why do you have to prove yourself? Um, people should just trust that, that you know, I'm not the cousin of an African Canadian director. I, I am actually qualified to do that job. Um, speaking now, I, I appreciate where the hospital is going in terms of, you know, facing these issues head on. Like we have a new diversity uh, focus groups where we're putting that in our action plan. So I'm very hopeful. And I'm also glad that, you know, we're, we have a new management group. We have a new, new group of staff, even managers, new managers, where we all feel comfortable to come and speak about these issues. I think the staff have gotten to the point where they can say, hey, I'm not comfortable with this. Or, you know, whether you're black or you're white or no matter your sexual orientation, I feel like we're in a climate now at Ontario Shores where people can feel free to bring forward any issues that they're feeling. At the time, it was an issue. But I do see a change because I've been here for 15 years, so I see the change. Um, and we can have courageous conversations. I have it with my peers all the time. I said, well, like, are we using biases? Are we using, you know, are we thinking in a way that's discriminatory to the person? Let's take a step back and look at these issues. And um, I just feel like, yes, people will experience it. You still will experience it. But I think if we're all bold enough to, like, talk about it and be open about it and nobody gets offended, we can fix it and move on. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. It's, it's really nice to hear that over the course of 15 years, um, not only within this organization, but it sounds like there's been a, a little bit of a shift. We've made some improvements um, in terms of uh, inclusion in the workplace. Um, but I think it sounds to me like there's still some more work to do and I'm really proud to be part of this organization who's committed to, to doing that. I'm not sure if um, Melissa or Eugenie have anything to add to that. Um, for myself, um, recently added to this management group, uh, Roxanne, I don't know you on a personal level, but re recently I've been getting to know you better. And um, in terms of how you're perceived now in terms of 
leadership. I, I, I think about your story and I imagine how hard that must have been to go through and, and, and to see and to see how, where you stand right now. And I, and I perceive you as such a strong leader and with the pandemic and some of the staffing um, issues that have been happening, I, I see you rising up and really leading Ontario, leading Ontario Shore staffing throughout the pandemic, and it's amazing. She was awarded the Leader of the Year last month. <laughs> amazing. So I think that speaks Thank to how you. resilient yeah. you are. Yeah, and I think just having like the support of like even the frontline staff. There's a shift in the frontline staff. Having the support of the frontline staff and my colleagues and everybody from you know upper to lower management. Like, well, we're not lower management, but you know, all of management. It's it's been great. Um, I think that's why we're able to get to the pandemic because the pandemic is hard for all of us, especially as women. Like, you know, you still have to go home and put your kids on Zoom. You still have to go home and cook. Like, you still have to go home and some of us are single mothers and take care of the home and still come here and take care of, you know, I don't want to say our staff are like our kids, but they need our attention. They need us to help them. So you're not only, not only are you mothering at home, you're mothering at work. And sometimes you're just tired. But I think we are able to do it because I see that we're all resilient managers, we're all resilient staff, and we just come together. And I love how everyone rises up at Ontario Shores, and that is so important. And I hope we just keep that momentum so we can just continue to rise up and get through this pandemic. Absolutely. When I think of the pandemic, of course, there are so many negative um, emotions that come with that. But when I think of the positive, I think of being involved in different meetings where, you know, for example, Melissa, you shared a story of conducting a meeting and having your daughter on your lap. And I think it has really brought forward a, a different side of uh, whether it be leaders or coworkers or um, whatever it may be, I think it really has blended, when we talk about being our true selves at work, the ability to be your true self at work is, you know, being able to, you know, share that little bit of your personal life within um, the context of your work. And I think that's something that really wasn't done before. Um, so I do, when I, when I reflect back over the last couple of years, I think that's definitely a, a way that we've started to position ourselves in a more positive way. Um, I think this is a great segue to the theme of recognizing bias in the workplace. Most organizations strive for workplace inclusion, but research shows it is difficult to achieve. Our ability to truly be inclusive is often hindered by unconscious bias. Bias functions as an adaptive process that helps us make informed decisions based on prior knowledge, experiences, both good and bad. As a mother, I worry, and, and as you all shared, we're all mothers of, of daughters and um, eventually maybe granddaughters. And I think it's something as we move forward to consider, you know, there is a real opportunity that our daughters, as they enter the workforce, for my daughters, I have a stepdaughter and a daughter, um, my daughter's 12, my stepdaughter's 15, and I imagine, you know, within the next decade, they're going to be entering the workforce a little later for your daughters. but. I really, really challenge us as women to consider what can we do to ensure that our daughters are not facing the same challenges and bias as they enter the workplace um, or, or really the world um, in the coming years. So that turns me to another question, which is when we think of uh, biases or bias and assumptions, um, I turn the tables to you and ask you, throughout the course of your career, what are some assumptions or biases that have been made about you? 
You want to start? I think the way that we present ourselves at, at large as women or female is largely, um, can be largely crit critiqued or um, a lot of, there can be a lot of determinations that can be made based off of the way that we present ourselves. For example, um, taking upon a new leadership capacity um, in the, prior to taking on the role as clinical manager, um, I was functioning as charge, the charge nurse of one of our assessment units at Ontario Shores. Um, and the role is slightly different, despite being a leader in a leadership capacity, um, transitioning to management. And um, in, in general, I, I would adopt a lot of um, what is, can be perceived as um, female char characteristics in the workplace. So um, maybe soft-spoken, um, yields a lot of empathy and, and whatnot. And uh, how does that translate or how can that be viewed um, in terms of one's leadership capacity and skill set? Um, can, can one or a, a female leader uh, function um, and function well despite um, holding these softer characteristics, for example? And, um, and how do we, how do, how does one convey ourselves as effective leadership and how do we, how do we communicate um, and how are we, how are we perceived? And again, on national or international women's day, I think that's really relevant to, to speak on how we are, how are we are viewed on a day-to-day -day basis and how do we portray ourselves? How do we want to portray, portray ourselves and what kind of conversations can we have to elicit some of these positive changes for our, for our gender? Um, and I think they're really relevant and I'd love to hear what you guys have to, what kind of experiences you have as well in, in that regard. Definitely, thank you. And, and hold your thought on that because my next question has to do with likability in women in the workforce. Um, but when we think of assumptions and biases, something that comes to mind is um, one of the conversations that we had as a group before getting together for this podcast today. We talked about um, we're all mothers, um, being pregnant in the workplace, and I had shared a story how I had taken um, a long time to share my second pregnancy in my workplace for fear of, you know, perhaps not being promoted or taken seriously. And I know, Jeannie, you had some stories uh, or a story similar to that. So I'd just like to circle back to that and, and have you share. Sure, yeah. So I think one of the assumptions that always you know, really, it's, it's affected me in my career path is, you know, the assumption that women in their 30s are likely to be focused on either starting or growing a family, and maybe that their, the commitment to the workplace and their career development might not be um, the focus right then. Um, and unfortunately, I feel that this, this bias not only affects women who choose to have family, but also affects those women who can't have children or those who choose not to have a family, which is too bad. You know, this has affected me in my career path, you know, choosing to stay with a job while I grow a family instead of starting a new career path, um, as well as, you know, having that feeling of having to prove yourself while being a mother at home as well. Uh, so proving yourself um, at, in the workplace and being able to stay focused. Um, yeah, so I, it's unfortunate, as you mentioned, I feel that women aren't, they hold the sense of guilt when they're going to share these news that they are expecting another child or a child because it's unfortunate because this is, you know, an exciting time and you should be excited to share that information, but instead we have that sense of guilt, yeah. which isn't fair. 
which is odd. Um, I don't know how we fix that, but I think it's something we consider. Um, it also brings me to a point um, when we think about within our teams and we think about um, you know, hiring, I often wonder how many times women are perhaps of that childbearing age or overlooked for positions um, as, as more senior leaders are thinking about growth within their teams and all of those pieces that fall with it. And I wonder that that also is not a barrier um, to sharing that news, because you're right, it is, it's incredibly good news and it's something that we should be very proud of, but uh, we, we worry about that. Um, so my next point is something that uh, I felt really passionately about. So as I started to conduct some research, knowing that the theme of today was break the bias, I started to look at bias in the workplace and there were so many areas. Um, as I shared with you before we started recording, there are over 150 biases that can happen um, in a workplace, which is just a, a tremendous number. And, and often, um, as women, we, we face a lot of those. That's just the reality of it. Um, but one of the things that struck me the most was this study out of Harvard about the likability and competency trade-off for women in the workplace. Um, so, for example, when, according to the study, men in leadership positions are often be viewed as competent, self-assured, um, you know, they would be viewed as successful, perceived as likable, actually, is the word that I'm, I'm trying to get back to. Um, to put it bluntly, they probably really don't even worry about if they're liked or not. Um, that's something that I'd say as women, um, traditionally, we carry with us the desire to be liked. We want to, we want to be liked by our team, by our peers, um, by really anybody. And uh, I think the challenge for me is, out of this study, is that women who demonstrate these characteristics, so I'll go back, competent, self-assured, successful, um, are frequent, very frequently regarded as unlikable, difficult, overbearing. And I'm going to use a word that I have never in my career heard a male counterpart be described as, as bossy. So I'm not sure if those are any words that you guys have been described as in your career. I certainly resonate with that. Um, and, and the part that is challenging for me, it's the values that we and qualities that we look for in leaders don't match what society views as a likable woman. Um, and the qualities we seek in a leader are the same ones that society associates with men. According to gender stereotypes, a likable woman should be nurturing, you touched upon this, nurturing, helpful, supportive, pleasant. Um, and when women break gender norms, they're often punished by society and other women. And that was something that really struck me as well, because when I think, if I had to pick one side over the other, I would use the words, which are not necessarily complimentary, I would describe myself as assertive, bossy, um, and you know, truthfully, I don't know that it's always viewed as likable qualities. Um, you know, and I think about some of my roles, not so much professionally, because I think I've been in positions that do have a lot of female or gender, females within their departments. But I find in some of my volunteer work, especially I find, um, which does have predominantly males, I find that I'm almost intentionally softening, softening my language. I'll draft an email and I'll think, what can I add to this email to be softer, nicer, um, to make it seem more warm and friendly? 
Um, and the other thing I've, I've caught myself doing, even since reading this study, again, in, in my volunteer work, when I have an issue or a thought I want to bring forward, I have, I have positioned it to a male counterpart within my volunteer group to bring forward on my behalf because I think it will be more likely to be accepted. And uh, that's just something that I really struggle with. So I don't know, um, as we consider gender norms, knowing there's so many other biases uh, that we could touch upon 150, but when we consider gender norms, uh, my question is, I don't know if any of you have experienced something similar um, with regard to gender norms or gender bias, or perhaps you know, it's a story about being called bossy or assertive in your roles. Um, I'm not sure, but I open up the floor. I, I, I welcome some comments with regard to that. I think it's so relevant. Uh, again, the topic of how, how we're perceived and on a day-to-day -day basis, right? And society seemingly prescribes these gender norms upon us. And then we, in a, in a way, we choose to adopt some of the characteristics, all of them, none of them, some of them, and, and how are we how are we shaping ourselves on a day-to-day? -day? And then as women in leadership positions, um, again, there's additional um, prescriptors that identify or speak on how are we to portray ourselves to be, to be effective. And so acknowledging some of those, those biases, again, and I'm going to just simply present the, the soft, nurturing, caring role of the the, the, the mother female and then the, the dominant strong ability to make decisions male counterpart per, per se but um, at Ontario's shores a lot of our um, a lot of our employees are female dominated as well um, and and I see a lot of leadership and strength in a day-to-day -day. and it's uh, I want to say the times are, are changing and we see um, women ri ri rising up and I challenge you all to think about how do we want to be perceived and whether it is prescriptive with the gender norm of, of women or, or not and then think about how can we shape those, I those ideals, ideals on a day-to-day -day basis to achieve the vision that we hope for ourselves to be viewed as. And I'm not sure if any of you um, have any um, thoughts as to how you have changed your um, actions in, at, at work to be perceived a certain way, but I'd like to hear about that as well. Yeah, no, I can definitely echo that. You know, my team is made up of pre uh, predominantly women, um, which is wonderful, and it's always, it is also great to see all the strong leaders female leaders that we have in the organization, which is wonderful. Um, but, you know, I, I can say that, like, coming into a new organization, into a new role, um, I did have that sense of feeling that I had to prove myself as a female leader. You know, I wanted the team to respect me. Um, I wanted them to also know that I'm there for them for whatever needs, especially during this hard time throughout the pandemic. So, you know, there's definitely that conflict of, you know, feeling that you, that feeling of wanting to support your team, but also the respect as a, as a manager. So, so it's, yeah, it's definitely an added pressure that I think female leaders feel on a day-to-day -day basis in the workplace. Yeah, I think we all catch ourselves doing that, like rereading our emails or even putting a little happy face, you know, that little happy face icon in there just to soften the email. But I, I also think like having a daughter too, 
um, I try to I try to check my own biases as well. So like if she's crying, I'd be like, oh, you got to be stronger than that. Stop crying. Like you're a big girl. And then I caught myself the other day and I'm like, no, it's okay. If you want to cry, it's fine to cry. Um, you're hurting right now. Let it out and then come and see me. But I think because we were raised like to be strong, um, take care of everyone. Um, but in, in, in the same breath, you're, you're raising us to be strong women. And then when we become managers, it's like, oh, you're a little bit too strong, a little too bossy. Because, you know, they still, it's great at Ontario Shores, like you said, there's so many female leadership roles. But outside of on, Ontario Shores, I've seen where it's not dominated by mm -hmm. females. And the females who are in those leadership roles have had to, like, kind of have the silent voice and be soft and whatever. But I do like that, you know, we are seeing more females in leadership roles. I also try to, like, tell my daughter, you can be anything you want. It's just not for males. If you want to do that, you can do it. So I think even starting that with our daughters and getting them into that, saying, it's fine, you can be a leader, you can be assertive, it's okay to be assertive. If a man can be assertive, I can be assertive. I mean, it's, it's hard to break that, but I think we're getting there because um, we're seeing so many, like you said, women rising up all around in all kinds of positions that they never held before, right? So, which is great. Like even having, like looking to America, which, you know, a vice president who's a female, like that was a very proud moment as well. So mm -hmm. we are rising up, times are changing, but I also think we also have to be mindful of our own biases um, when it comes to raising our daughters as well. So definitely I caught myself and I said, no, if you're sad, it's fine. If you wanna do that, it's fine. Cause she even has biases and she's only seven. So yeah. she'll say, oh, this is a male job or this is, and I'm like, nope, it's anyone's job. If you can do it, you can do it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You're seeing the different roles as well, how at work, you're held the leadership, the leadership role, and then you switch off at home, yeah. and you have your, your, your mother role. Like, there's so many different roles and expectations that we have every day to uphold. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and, and how do we balance that? And, and again, um, it's just, it's lovely to see, um, you know, supporting your daughters and your yeah. managing, your supporting your team in that way. That's good. As we talk about the shift within the workplace, and I can say I'm relatively new to Ontario Shores, one of the things that did strike me is that we do have a very diverse senior team. We have a very, also very um, highly represented with in the female gender. So two things that I thought um, were really impressive about our organization. But what struck me is we're talking about raising strong girls. Um, and I think that's the difference. Um, I can't say that I was necessarily, I wasn't raised to not be strong, but I'm certainly more supportive of my daughter um, to be a strong uh, female. Something I frequently find myself saying to her is like, it's really difficult to be your mother sometimes, but don't <laughs> change. Um, so, and I think we just, we have a lot of pressures as mothers, especially on the, uh, as we're hopefully on the tail end of this pandemic, but I think we are also doing a lot of things right. Um, so as we start to wrap up our discussion today, I do have one really important question that I'm going to have each of you answer. And I'm going to start with you again, Melissa, if that's okay. How can we best inspire women to take risks and follow their passions? I love this question, Julie. It's it's so it's no it's it's inspiring and it's it it contains so much meaning, and I would start off by saying people every day are taking a risk by 
we show up every day and we're taking a risk and we have so many different hats that we wear in general. Um, acknowledging the large expectations that society or that life places on, on us alone can, I find reassuring that everybody experiences a lot of different pressures on a day-to-day -day basis. Pandemic related, work related, um, family related, it, it all happens. Um, with that said, I would, I would identify that find, finding the reassurance and that it's common amongst, it's universal, it's universal. So we're all experiencing it. And then in that sense, using your voice to speak on what's happening and we can find comfort in normalizing the experience and then breaking some of the boundaries that have been pre-established. That would be my, my piece. Excellent. I don't know how you top that. <laughs> no Jeannie. pressure, Jeannie. <laughs> I would definitely echo to, you know, use your voice and speak up to those matters that are important to you um, so that your voice is heard. Um, I would encourage uh, women to take ownership of their ideas and their work to not let you know yes. pass it off to someone else yes. so take ownership for those ideas um, and lastly to support other women I mean and if yes. we want to see more women in leadership roles they have to be bossy they have to be decisive assertive strong all those characteristics that you have shared um, that are represented of a strong leader and they can't be judged by especially by the other females so I think I think that's that would be my that's advice important. Roxanne. Like they basically said everything, <laughs> which is good. You guys made very good points and I agree with everything. And I also think leading and showing, like role modeling, showing, leading the way, right? So people see you doing it, women see you doing it, and they're like, I can do that too. Like they look at Melissa, they say, Melissa has three young kids. She is wonderful. She's doing her master's. She's going to school. She's doing the management role. I can do that too. They see Jeannie, who's you know, here she's, you're doing research, and typically when I think of research, I think of male dominant, like, industry, and seeing you doing that, women will say, I can do that too. They see me as a black woman in a management role, you know, doing leadership, I can do that too. So that's us being here and sharing our story is how we break these biases. We're showing you, you can do it, don't let anything be like your barrier, you can overcome that barrier and you can be great. Absolutely. Thank you all. I can speak for all of us and say, well, as I wrap everything up, that I think it's important we do our part to create a world free of bias and stereotypes, a world where diversity is valued and celebrated. This, however, begins at home, like we talked about, spreads to our communities, schools, and workplaces. I challenge us all to question the assumptions and any biases in our daily life. We can accept that bias is unavoidable, but we can change it. Using a common language and openly discussing biases in the workplace allows us as organizations to address biases in the workplace and beyond. Let's target the causes of bias and mitigate their ne negative effect, not just today on International Women's Day, but every day. I again thank you, Melissa, Jeannie, Roxanne, I am totally inspired by your leadership roles within this organization. Ontario Shores is so lucky to have each of you, and I can't wait to see how much further you advance in your careers during your time here. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much.